0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, June 22nd. We are just two weeks away from the kickoff of the greatest outdoor show on earth. We discuss the impact the Calgary Stampede has on local businesses with Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber.
1: Canada's healthcare system needs a roadmap to get back on course. That's according to a new study produced by the C.D. Howe Institute. We catch up with Professor Don Drummond from the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University to talk about how we can address the issues facing our healthcare system.
0: Have Canadians lost their appetite for news? We discuss the results of a new study on the topic with Colette Brin, professor of media studies from Laval University. The professor shares her thoughts on how the Canadian media landscape has changed and the challenges that lie ahead for news-gathering organizations.
1: Once a month, we have the pleasure of checking in with President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber, Deborah Yedlin. And uh, good morning to you, Deb. Thanks for being in studio to talk to us this morning. Happy to be here. We have lots to discuss with you. I mean, you know, when it comes to the Calgary business community, we've got Stampede just, well, just... Fifteen days, days away, away. <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, you know, we've got rising costs, still labor shortages, so a whole lot to talk about. Yep. Let's begin with the the Q two data that you have on business optimism. What does it tell us? How do you collect that kind of information? So this
2: is a co- this is a cooperative effort between Stats Canada and the, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, and every we get a we get quarterly data, and then we can parse it out uh, by city. So that's what we've done, and we just we're seeing that the you know the optimism for the business community is stable it's steady through the the third and fourth quarter we're, we're, so we're sitting out of in a very good spot having said that there's also this mindset of there are risks ahead and that includes the fact that we saw the bank of canada raise mm-hmm. interest rates so higher interest rates uh facing businesses the talent shortage is still an issue obviously supply chains the issues are getting better but still there's you no know, this whole issue of rising costs Affecting businesses is something that we are not getting away from, and the other thing too is that as consumers hear the narrative about a recession, as they see the higher interest rate costs, as we know the debt levels in Alberta are high, um, you know, you know, in in industries and sectors that are that benefit from discretionary spending, are going to see, are worried that they're going to see consumers pulling back. So whether you're in hospitality, uh, retail, people may consider what they're buying and how often they're buying.
0: The high cost of doing business—that's one thing, Deb. But then you also look at the, the supply chain issues that people mm-hmm. have, and even even if you, uh, you know, you have that income and you're ready to hire people, the labor uh, challenges, labor shortages as yeah. well. So, what are you hearing as far as uh, the businesses have stuck it out this long? Do they got another 12 months in them to to to, to, to finish the job and continue out of the uh, worst times? Well,
2: the labor the labor issue is 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 uh, definitely a, a challenge, and the other thing is too. Of course, it's one thing to hire people, and you have to retain them. So that's and that sort of that can push your costs up as people walk across the street for a higher paycheck. The other thing from a supply chain sh- standpoint is the longshoremen in Vancouver voted to strike, and so if that mm. actually happens, when you think about what that impacts going to be uh, from a supply chain standpoint, that we actually. Vancouver's the largest port in the country. Uh, That's not helpful. And, of course, we're an inland port from a logistics and distribution perspective. So we're watching that very carefully as well.
1: We mentioned Stampede. We'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to ask you because this appears to be lunch and dinner season, doesn't it? So I know you have a a big dinner tonight and then next week a very important luncheon.
2: Yes, this evening the Calgary Chamber of Commerce together with the Haskane School of Business and the Calgary Foundation are honouring Don Farrell, who was the CEO of TransAlta and now CEO of Trans, Trans Mountain. Uh, Our Inspiring Business Leader Awards Dinner taking place up at the university. And it is also the last sort of big event for the the dean of the business school, Jim DeWald. He's finished two terms as dean, and he is stepping back from that position and uh, continuing on as a a professor. But uh, yeah, so this will be his last big event as dean as well. So big evening. And then, of course, next Friday, we're hosting uh, Premier Daniel Smith for lunch at the Hyatt. Uh, if anybody's interested, you can go to calgarychamber.com to get tickets.
0: Oh, so you can, uh, the absolutely. public can
2: buy tickets. Everybody can buy a ticket. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. Next Friday. Yeah, Sue alluded to it. Uh, Ten days from now, it's our county fair. Uh, no one has the <laughs> Calgary Stampede. Uh, what's interesting, we were talking about this before you came in, Deborah, in that, you know, most uh, cities in Canada, it's all Canada Day all the time. Our Canada Day almost gets swept under the rug because mm-hmm. Stampede just just right yep. around the corner. The impact, often we tie the impact of Stampede business-wise to hospitality. Yep. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? Because what an opportunity for people who might be visiting our city just to see what we have to offer en masse.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's the piece that we have to focus on when you look at the Stampede being a fair, but also an agriculture fair. So the agriculture component so so important and when we listen to people talking about what we can do to continue to diversify our economy, the agriculture opportunities are really, really significant. And so this is just another angle of Stampede that we have to remind ourselves of. But what's really interesting is we're hearing a lot of people coming from away. Just for Stampede, from across the country, from the United States, they're here to take it in. They want to see what's going on and really be part of, of, of what is really a great, great event.
1: And it's been a handful of years since we've had people coming from around the world really to participate in Stampede because, you know, the pandemic and then coming out of it, it's been a little while since people felt really good about coming and gathering en masse like that.
2: No, absolutely. And so trying, you know, people are, tickets are disappearing Mm -hmm. and hotel rooms are disappearing. That's good news. That's absolutely good news. So I think we're going to see a very strong showing both from an international, national visitor economy perspective and also locally.
0: And what are you hearing? I know that you know for families, maybe you knock off and you've got a week to just be a tourist in your own town. That'd be fantastic. Our friends and family coming from out of town, but the businesses themselves that you're talking about uh, with, what a great opportunity for these business owners uh, to network for ten days and, and yeah. maybe make some more uh, business connections.
2: Well, I think that's that's what the Stampede's all about. And because it, when you talk to people who are new to the city. And uh, if you go to some sort of event, people are wearing, you know, whatever. If they 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 see the fact that everybody looks the same, mm-hmm. you don't know who you're standing beside because you're wearing a pair of jeans, you're wearing a cowboy boot, so true. cowboy boots uh, and and whatever else on your head, you don't know who you're standing beside in the lineup for pancakes, right? And that cause that that creates uh, that eliminates a barrier, mm-hmm. um, and creates an opportunity for conversation that might not otherwise happen if somebody's wearing, you know, a fancy suit and tie and somebody else is not. It's just, Everybody looks the same, and it sort of takes away these barriers for conversations, and that really increases the networking opportunities as
1: well. Well, I know a lot of people are already talking about getting out and spending a whole lot of money during Stampede. So that's a good thing. The yep. city needs it for sure. Uh, I think we're back in full force. Again, we'll remind people Thursday, June 29th, is the Calgary Chamber at lunch with Premier Danielle Smith. Can they get their tickets at calgarychamber.com? Yep. Calgarychamber.com. Okay, perfect. Thank
0: you for being in. Oh, Andy? Yeah, one more question for you. Uh, and that is, we'll often I think when I think about the Chamber, I think about a brick and mortar business or maybe something online, but leaning on the Chamber for resources. But more and more in 2023, people have side hustles. Is the chamber some uh, resource I can use if I want to launch a side hustle or are you strictly like both feet in for business?
2: No, actually, we're starting to develop a concierge service where we can help people establish businesses and provide them connections to services that they need to do that. We have partnerships that we're developing with Platform Calgary. If you're in the tech sector, we're also looking at the uh, agriculture opportunities. So we're really trying to be that node for businesses beyond what was perceived to be an organization that really was focused on the energy sector. We're very focused on energy, clean tech, and other opportunities, but we really want to help those small businesses start
1: up and, and get going. Love it. Obviously, Andy's thinking about a side hustle is what yes. he's getting Tell at. Tell us Deb. what your side I hustle just, is. I just
0: need some suggestions. So anytime, uh, maybe we'll, we'll go for lunch <laughs> <Yeah>, on <okay. laughs> Friday with the premier. There, there you go. Idea. The year yep. of everybody. So, See good. if the premier
1: will pay. Next That's Friday. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Deb. Appreciate you thanks, thanks for Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Is Canada's health care system on life support? What needs to be done to address the issues that are facing health care in this country? Well, joining us to talk about the roadmap to a better health care system is Don Drummond, Stouffer Dunning Fellow and Adjunct Professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University. Good morning to you, Don. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Oh, you're very welcome.
1: So uh, it, when we talk about a, a, a roadmap, is, is there such a thing? Is there something that's being put together? Because it sure seems like we've been doing the same thing over and over again when it comes to Canada's health care system, and we need some changes, don't we?
3: Well, we absolutely do. We, I think we've had problems for a very long time, and I think the Canadian public has been pretty tolerant of it. They, I think they live in fear that change will make it worse, that they'll have to pay more, look more like the American so they've pretty much cruised along and tolerated what we've got, but I, I think recently, particularly the increased difficulty of accessing primary care. People of Alberta know it, the doc. 200 emergency doctors writing the, an open letter about the crisis that's faced and that's not just really an emergency department problem per se, that's the difficulty of accessing primary care and people go to emergency because they have nowhere else and we're seeing that across the country and we've also saw you know, 80% of the deaths and COVID in the early months uh, were in long-term care and we realize we don't have enough long-term care beds, they're not in very good shape and besides that's not what people want as they age, they want home care support and we have very little of it So that, too, has been a long-standing problem. In fact, we've known we were going to be into that since the 1950s and 60s, but once again, very little planning has been done about it. But I I think things are going to move now. I I think the times are right for some uh, positive changes to happen.
0: When you say changes, Don, and you mentioned the the term uh, long-standing issues, you you, you referenced Alberta. And here in the province, if you've been here for a number of years, you know that it's not uh, tied to politics. It doesn't matter who's in power. This has been an issue, perhaps finally coming to a head when it comes to the issues that we are seeing. But is this a case that we should be doing more tinkering or should we look at blowing up the whole model and, you know, starting from the ground?
3: Well, I think the good thing is there's lots of studies. Uh, we know where to find them. They're they're on those uh, virtual shelves somewhere, gathering dust. But uh, you know what we did? We took the dust off them. We went through all of them, and we said, you know, there's a lot of solid recommendations that are broad support. They would help the situation. These are things that don't need a commission. They don't need to be studied any further. They can be put in place right now. And I think with the public saying we want change, a politician can stand up and say, I'm going to do these things to help it. Yeah, I, I, Nova Scotia to me is an, an example. 2021, their election, the issue was 70,000 Alberta households were not attached to a primary caregiver. All four parties built platforms around that. The party that won, one of the first things they did when they came to power is they created nurse practitioner-led clinics and pharmacies. I think there's a lot of positive things out of that message. The public said we're not going to take it anymore. The politicians listened and they acted, and a very sensible solution. They know they don't have enough family physicians. They use nurse practitioners to the full extent of their scope of practice, and they use the pharmacists. And you're seeing pharmacists and nurse practitioners being allowed to write prescriptions on common ailments. So we're seeing the kind of things that need to be done. We just need more of them. We need to be done faster.
1: Well, this discussion dawned based on uh, the CD Howe's roadmap for reform, a consensus view of the viable options ahead for Canada's healthcare system. And you know, when we talk about healthcare and changing it, it kind of all revolves around money, doesn't it? In the end, whether we should be paying for more, whether the government should be paying for more—do we ever get past that and just think about, you know, what what does the average person who lives in this country need, and what should we expect?
3: Well, I spent a lot of time when doing this report and thinking, how do I prevent this just joining another one of those reports on the shelf and gathering as it's, it's dust? And I look back at almost all the efforts that have been made to, to date to reform Healthcare have been in the context of cost-cutting and my own I chaired a Commission on the reform of public services in Ontario in 2011 and 2012 and really my mandate was to show how to save the province money It sort of said in the process try not to break a lot of the China but really we want to save that money and that, that's one of the reasons why the Canadian public is fearful of the change I'm convinced the changes we recommend in our part will save money, but we're not leading with that. I don't think they need a lot of new money in it. They're on proving access to primary care and better care of the elderly. If I were a politician, I'm not, fortunately for me, probably fortunately for the public, I wouldn't lead with that we got a problem we hear you about the problem these are the things that are going to require it and i don't think you need to put a lot of money and besides it it already is almost half of all the provincial budgets we spend over 11 percent of our gross domestic product aside from the united states that's one of the highest in the world there is a lot of money we're not spending it in the right ways in the right places
0: you're spending the money is one thing, but how about using technology, Don? Uh, the opportunities maybe we could, you know, pull from artificial intelligence, machine learning technologies for helping with healthcare delivery and balancing some maybe some of the administrative tasks. Is that well, something that could help us?
3: Yeah, well, first, just the plain basics of it, Uh, survey after survey of family physicians and nurse practitioners indicate that they're spending as much as one-third of their time doing administration work, uh, easily over 10 hours a, a week. And then you dig further of that, as as an example, uh, in the survey that was done by the doctors of Nova Scotia, they found an incredible amount of that was completely wasted. They were filling out forms that went nowhere. They filed off somewhere, and they too just gathered dust somewhere. Uh, Many cases, your form that's filled out by a physician could be filled out by an administrative assistant, and that's still going to take time, but that's that's using the doctor through the scope of their practice and it's using somebody that's not costing a lot as you indicated artificial intelligence you can automatically take case notes when the patient is there you don't need to spend half an hour after you visited somebody to write it all down there's lots of opportunities that we can do it and of course in the process we have to have a means that we as patients of the system have access to our own records and that so often is very difficult
1: It's an ongoing conversation. I don't think any. it's not a simple one either of things that need to change, but there are a lot of them, aren't there? Thank you so much for your time this morning, Don. Really appreciate the conversation.
3: You're welcome. Bye.
1: Thanks, Don uh, Drummond, is the Stouffer Dunning Fellow Adjunct Professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University. Yeah. Is there anybody really, if you ask anyone, are you really satisfied with the health care system? Things
0: ticking along. In
1: your city, in your province, in this country? I don't think so. Well, this is
0: what you, where I have an issue when it comes to, uh, and by the way, we just came through an election. And uh, the provincial election and the mudslinging talk. Listen, not one party has owned and done health care right. As no, far as, no. And it just seems to have been eroding for the past 40 years. Because we keep
1: doing the same thing over and over again.
0: And you know what? It's interesting because they do incredible things at the foothills. But I've been in the foothills more than a few times. There are some, you know, I'm not trying to say it's just about the aesthetics there are some wings of that facility. You say, is this 1967? Yeah. So I mean, whether or not it was all clicking in the, in the 70s, 80s, and maybe early 90s, uh, but then things started to. Uh, maybe we did not do the upkeep. Maybe we didn't keep it, uh, you know, to, to where we belong as far as being the best in the world for mm-hmm. for healthcare. Which we, we, to this day, even like American friends, will say, boy, you guys have a great. Yes. Up. And, but it's and, not and, where it was.
1: And we do, but it needs work, clearly, and it needs help. And, you know, when you talk about facilities, this, the Calgary Cancer um, Centre that is being built now, I'm uh, not sure if it's completely finished, yeah, it's but a huge, that is world-class. So we do do things all right. Day. But from the bottom up, I think, obviously, there needs to be changes to make it better and just to keep up with the
0: times. So many questions. And then bigger picture, you know, we're maybe focusing on the hospital situation, but when when you still, I've seen posts on social media recently Of I can't find a family doctor.
1: Yeah, that one's the big one, right? Last time
0: I checked, we're a first world country and we Mm -hmm. can't, you know, get the family doctor thing figured out. Yep. Um, And at what point are you just second guessing yourself? And we we all say on this show lots, and we we speak with experts, we say you got to be your own advocate. Being your own advocate only takes you so far when you can't even get in to see a doctor. You can't advocate to to a doctor if you can't go (laughs) to a doctor. There's no one to talk to on the other side. It's true. So yeah, maybe you have some some thoughts on the text line, 403-974-8255. The bottom line is... our healthcare system needs an injection they need to, 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 to spruce things up what does that take and is it just well let's throw money at it again according to research from laval university canadians are losing their appetite for news so what's behind the decline and how do we change the narrative joining us to discuss is colette brin professor and director of the media studies center at laval university good morning to you colette good morning so what did you find in your research within this survey, the reasons behind the decline in Canadians' interest in news and their inclination to pay for news online?
1: Well, this is a survey, so it's hard to get at the real reasons. They can be different for each person, of course. But we've been tracking this for years, every year, and we're seeing a decline. So. What was different this year, it was an inflation year. And, of course, we're coming out of the pandemic. There was the war in Ukraine. There's a lot of negative news. So what happens is that people tend to move away from the news or be, you know, because the news is bad, um, to, to consume it less as to protect their health, their mental health and so on. And less people consume news, the less they trust it. It kind of goes together. Is it is it as much that they just, you know, don't want to hear perhaps the bad news or is it how they are getting the news? I mean, there are lots.